It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome to NJS Bay's Blog Talk Radio Show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to bringing the educational issues to you and the educational leaders to you. And we hope that you feel free to join in this educational conversation. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host this morning. Uh, I'll be taking your calls. Uh, and we also will have the chat room open, so if you want, want to ask us any questions during these 45 minutes, feel free to do so. Uh, to tell you how to participate is Christy. Christy? Good morning. Tell us uh, how uh, our listeners can uh, participate. Good morning. I would love to. Uh, now, if you want to call in, just dial 1-347-989-8904. When you're ready to make a comment or ask a question, just press 1 on your phone, and that will indicate to me that you would like to be on the air. So I'll get your name and your question or topic. Uh, if you're on the phone, just remember to turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone since there's a delay and, you know, it gets confusing. If you're just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log into. We will be monitoring the chat room and we'll pass on some of the comments or questions to our speaker. To log into the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Christy. It's been over 30 years since the landmark legislation known as the Sunshine Law or Open Public Meetings Act has been passed. Thinking back when the law was passed, if you look back on it, the technology was totally different. There was no such thing as personal computers, no iPods, no cell phones. You were high-tech if you had an answering machine, and people were listening to music. I was one of them on eight tracks. And forget about DVDs or CDs for movies. The the new invention that year in 1975 was VHS tapes. The world of technology has changed since the Sunshine Law was passed. Technology has changed dramatically so much that it changes how we view the Sunshine Law, and the Sunshine Law has to adjust to it. Here to talk to me about this is Mark Zimmer, a school board attorney with Shank, Price, Smith, and King. Welcome, Mark. Good morning, Ray. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, Mark, before we get into the Sunshine Law, just tell us uh, how long you've been a a school board attorney and uh, a little bit about your background. Sure. Uh, I've been practicing education law for about 16 years now, representing uh, school districts throughout the state of New Jersey, both large school districts and small school districts on all aspects of education law. Okay. Um, I I gave a little intro about how long ago it's been with the Sunshine Law and how technology has changed. But I don't think the intent of the Open Public Meetings Act has changed at all over the years. And what's the intent in that before we get into how uh, things have changed with technology? Yeah, I would agree with you. The law, uh, the intent behind the Open Public Meetings Act has not changed over the years. And the intent behind the law is that the public has a right to be present at all meetings of public bodies and to witness all phases of deliberation, policy making, and action taken by those public bodies. And when the law was drafted, the legislators were very clear that secrecy in the public affairs was kind of against good government and that as long as there was openness in government, uh, people would perceive that their legislators were doing the right thing. Um, 
so it was for the for the public to see that government was out in the open and at that time it was a meeting for the most part um how do you define a meeting that now well the meeting the definition of a meeting hasn't really changed the meeting is actually the definition of a meeting is defined in the law as a gathering whether it's by people physically being present at a particular location or it actually says by means of communication equipment, which is attended by or open to all members of the public body, and it's got to be held with the intent of the members uh, acting or discussing public business. Uh, the law does exclude from the definition of a meeting uh, less than a full majority of um, that particular entity. So if it's uh, either a social gathering or less than a majority, it's not a meeting within the meaning of the Open Public Meetings Act. But with technology, uh, maybe if I have a series of emails, mm -hmm. uh, say a superintendent sends an email out to the board president, and the board president then sends it out to a couple of the board members, maybe their committee chairs or whatever, and then they, the emails go out to all board members, and there's a chain of emails. Uh, could that be considered – and they come to a decision at the end of the, the discussion of emails. Is that a meeting in and of itself, or could it? some people consider it a meeting? Yeah, absolutely. If um, And there are cases, actually, that have addressed this issue in, in other jurisdictions. As far as I know, there's no New Jersey case on point that's addressed this issue, but there are cases from other states where they say that these chain emails or rolling emails, as they're sometimes referred, uh, between a majority of a public body uh, where there's discussion of board business or public business and a consensus is reached before the actual meet, physical meeting takes place, that that would constitute a meeting. Uh, and unless it's advertised, because that's what the law says for meetings, they have to be advertised, uh, the public has to be allowed to be present, notice has to be provided, and unless those things happen, that meeting is a violation of the Open Public Meetings Act. So. You know, I always advise clients be very careful about emailing uh, about board business, especially if you have a majority of that board discussing it, even if it's serial. It doesn't have to be simultaneous. There's no question about the fact that if it was a simultaneous chat room, if you will, uh, with five board members on a nine-member board, that, that would absolutely constitute a meeting. Um, the question becomes, as you pointed out, when it's serial email communications, does that constitute a meeting? And in my view, the answer would likely be yes. So uh, in everyday life, we all do that. You know, uh, at work, when we're trying to set up a meeting or make a decision, the emails fly back and forth. But since it's a public entity, they have to be very careful, um, just reemphasizing what you said, I guess, that they can't be making decisions. Uh, so if they need to do something, they have to either – can they advertise? I guess they can't advertise a, a online meeting, but uh, – Yeah, that's the tricky part about it. You know, how do you advertise an email dialogue that's going to take place? And as you point out, a lot of times they take place spontaneously. It's not really planned. Um, how do you advertise four or five five members on a nine-member board getting together and discussing uh, board business? You know, I suppose an argument could be made that somebody could file an Open Public Records Act request after the dialogue takes place, and they'd be able to witness what took place. But that kind of presupposes that the public's going to know that that email exchange is going to take place in the first place. Well, it, you actually led me into a good question there then. Uh, are emails public records of uh, school board members and school administrators when they're dealing about business? The answer is yes. Um, 
uh, an email, I should say a government record is defined as a document that's made, maintained, or kept on file by a public official in the course of public business. So there's plenty of government records council cases and superior court cases where they hold that email communications are government records if they're maintained or generated by a public official in the ordinary course of business. There are certain exceptions to the uh, government records law. So in other words, if a, a public official was emailing about a, a confidential student matter, that would, although be a government record, it wouldn't be subject to disclosure. In other words, somebody couldn't get that under OPRA. Um, but that's the other danger about emails is that they're government records. And because they're government records, they have to be maintained and they have to be archived and so forth. All right, I'm going to get into another question, but before I do, uh, just to our listeners, if you want to ask, we're talking with Mark Zinemer, a school board attorney, with, uh, and if you want to ask Mark a question, the number is one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and just press one. Um, all right, you, you, they're public records, but what happens if I use my own pro- personal email as a board member? Uh, do people then have the right to see my 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 emails on my personal email account or my work email account? No, most of us have more than one email account. Yeah, I think a lot of public officials are under the misconception that if they uh, send an email from a private email account or uh, store it on a personal home computer, that it's not going to be subject to the Open Public Records Act law. Uh, That's not the case. Uh, There are government records council cases where they hold that it doesn't matter where it's stored, it doesn't matter what account it's sent from. If it involves public business by a public official, it's a government record and it's going to be subject to disclosure. There was actually a case involving the mayor of Fairlawn and the government uh, custodian of records in that particular town said, oh, it's it's not going to be a government record which is subject to disclosure because it was generated at home on his own personal computer. case was litigated, and ultimately the Government Records Council held. Got to disclose them. Well, if it's a government record, you just can't delete government records, uh, even if it's on your personal email then, right? Yeah, that's, is there that's, a way that you have to save it point. then? I'm sorry? Is, is there, do you have to, like, to delete it, or how do you get rid of it? I mean, maybe well, you're not on the, council, uh, the, the, the board anymore, and... You don't want to keep it there yep. forever. No, I, that's a, it's a good question. The, the, the Division of Archives and Record Management of the State of New Jersey issues a schedule involving public records, their retention periods, and how ultimately they're to be destroyed. So if a board member generates an email that involves board business, that record has to be stored, it has to be archived, and it has to main, be maintained for a certain period of time. And Technically, it's unlawful to delete an email because you're destroying a, a government record. And that's, again, another danger uh, with board members using emails. Um, my preference is for board members to have um, Board of Education email accounts so that they don't have to worry about storing, archiving, and, and maintaining these records. Uh, that will be up to the custodian of records of that district to maintain on the district server. Oh, so that was... Uh, and I think most... I'm not sure. More and more districts I know uh, have email accounts for the board members when they come Mm -hmm. on. So uh, that makes it a little bit safer for the board member in terms of saving records and keeping records. And actually, I guess um, if people did an Oprah request on their – and when I say Oprah, I guess I should open Public Records Act for those (laughs) who are listening. We went into an acronym very quickly um, Right. that they should uh, – it makes it easier for them. In dealing with all that, 
Exactly. The, the, I mentioned earlier, Ray, the Division of Archives and Record Management. They've issued a, cir a circular, which anybody can Google. It's called Managing Electronic Mail Guidelines and Best Practices. So I strongly recommend any public official who's interested in this topic, you know, go Google and, and get your hands on a copy of this uh, Best Practices Guideline that deals with emails, retention, all the things that we're talking about today. Um, going back to the, the emails and meetings, now you, you defined what a meeting was, but a group of, say, board members could go to a wedding. As long as they're not discussing board business, uh, I know they've even gone to some NJSBA events and they're just getting information. You can have a quorum of the of the the board or or any government entity as long as you're not discussing the business of that board, right? Exactly. The law specifically excludes social gatherings. Um, if the board wants to go out to dinner at the holiday time and have a good time, as long as they're not discussing board business, that's permissible. Once you start bringing up items that affect uh, your school district, if it's a school board, that's when you cross the line. Uh, so would the same hold true if you were doing any of these chain emails, that if you're discussing other things, if you're – maybe you, – how about you – if you go to an event and you're – it's not your – specific district, but you're getting information on a new uh, law being passed that might affect your district or might affect education. Could they discuss that through a chain of emails or they should be careful? You know, I'd be really careful about that sort of thing. Again, you know, a majority of a board serially, by serial email discussing an item that could affect the school district, even if it's not a particular action item before that board at that particular time, it's dangerous because somebody's going to argue that that's a meeting that should have been advertised, the public should have had a right to watch the deliberations and, and you know hear the thought process that goes into it and that sort of thing. So I'd be real careful uh, about anything that's not purely social uh, being discussed by email among a majority. It's fine to do it, Ray, if it's a minority of the board. Four members uh, of a committee can certainly email back and forth about an issue before their committee. That's, that's not a meeting. That's fine. Uh, understand it's going to have the Open Public Records Act implications that we spoke about earlier, but it's it's not going to be a meeting if it's less than a majority. So uh, those committee emails, though, uh, if I heard you correctly, uh, even though it's not a, a meeting, those are open public records, though. So yeah, absolutely. As long as they don't they don't fall within an exception. So in other words. If it's the personnel committing, committee uh, discussing a, a particular individual in a district, um, there, that might be excluded from OPRA because um, there are certain exceptions for personnel issues under OPRA. Okay. Uh, but if it's, a, if it's a finance issue among the finance committee, that presumably would be something that would have to be disclosed if somebody were to file an OPRA request. Now, uh, would your recommendation be that a board have a very have a Policy and communication then via technology or I guess any communication, but particularly in in light of the issues that are brought up with technology. Yeah, I highly recommend boards of education, municipalities, you know, boroughs, townships, all that good stuff, that they have policies that deal with technology. Uh, the Open Public Meetings Act issues that we've discussed, uh, use of email, uh, the records implications, um, and those sorts of things. And most of my school districts do, in fact, have policies. But you find that the pol because technology is changing so quickly, the policy that was a stellar policy a year ago is uh, out of date quickly. So my advice is to at least annually review those policies, if not more often than that, just to make sure they're they're keeping up with the changes in the law. 
Uh, once again, to our listeners, if you want to ask Mark Zittimer a question, dial 1-347-989-8904 and just press 1 once you you get there. Um, since the Sunshine Law was based on, a, a lot on keeping things out in the open and on a meeting, with technology now, a person doesn't really have to be um, at the, the board table to be at the board table. We could do it via phone conference or, I guess, uh, with the with the, um, uh, Skype. You could probably yep. even have someone uh, mm-hmm. there. So, should they? Can they just do that, or would you advise them to take steps before they do that? Well, the New Jersey law is a little bit all over the place on this topic. There, there's actually two cases in New Jersey. Uh, they're actually unpublished decisions, which really means they're not binding. But there's there's two cases that have dealt with this issue about board member participation in meetings by speakerphone. So not physically being present, but having a speakerphone set up at the dais so that the board member can call in and be part of the meeting. So there's one case called Haggerty and Romeo versus the Old Bridge Board of Education where the appellate division affirmed a lower court ruling that said you had to get a court order in order to allow those board members to participate in speakerphone. So the court held fine as long as you get a court order. Uh, There's another case. It's a lower court case called Koch versus the Jackson Board of Education where the trial judge held that it wasn't okay to get a court order to part to allow a, a board member to participate in speakerphones. And it was actually Judge Serpentelli who was somebody who was consulted in drafting the Open Public Meetings Act, And uh, funny enough. And he said it would kind of undermine the intent of the OPMA to have board members participating by speakerphone. So you have these two conflicting decisions. Uh, you also have a, a later Attorney General's opinion from the year 2000 where the AG held I don't have any problem with board members participating in meetings by speakerphone, so long as there are some parameters set up ahead of time, so long as the public can hear the board member, so long as the board member can hear the public, and so forth. Again, that's not a, a binding legal opinion on school districts. So, so I know school boards have taken the position, play it safe, get a court order. Um, my advice to my clients has been if you're going to if you're going to allow board members to participate in meetings by speakerphone it's a really good idea to have a policy set up ahead of time so that John Doe board members not sitting home watching the Yankees game participating in the meeting by speakerphone in other words there should be some really clearly defined criteria you have to be a certain number of miles away from the board maybe there's an emergency which doesn't allow you to be physically present and that sort of thing so to me it's something that's ripe for policy so you want to be a you, your advice is you want to be a break ground on on this issue <laughs> and play it safe, exactly. which I guess you would say with the most legal uh, problems that a board might uh, face. Um, I had a yeah, question. Yeah, you that, just have to be careful about it. That's all. Um, you don't want it to be abused, certainly. Okay, uh, I do have another. I have a call or a question from someone uh, on issue of texting. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Let me see. Debbie? Hi, good morning. It's Debbie Boyle. So I told Hi. you. <laughs> good morning, How are you? Morning, Ray. Good I'm morning. Good. How are you, Debbie? I'm good. Um, I have a question on texting. Um, sure. As far as I know, if you text board members and you erase your text, I don't believe that text go anywhere. Um, do you have an opinion on that? Well, you know, to me, a text is, is similar to an email, and if a board, if a majority of the board is going to be texting one another about an issue of, of board business, there's the Open Public Meetings Act implications that I talked about before, and there's also the Open Public Records Act implications. In other words, that's a government record which now has to be 
preserved um, and how you would actually print out and uh, preserve a text message I don't have the foggiest idea um, <laughs> you know you probably have to get in touch with Verizon to figure out how to do that but Deb you're right there's there's risks associated with that um, and you have to be real careful because if you're texting about board business you've now got a government record on your hands and the question is how do you archive it I, I don't know yeah. the answer to that question I would okay, think did Deb you have another follow-up an uh, excuse me. Did, did you have a follow-up to that? that was a good no, I just I just wanted to say that um, I am going to um, contact Verizon because a lot of people have that question. But if you delete your texts, where do those texts go? Like if you delete your email, you can still pull those off of your right. hard drive. But what happens when you delete your texts? I'm I'm just I'm just being the devil's advocate. <laughs> Uh, good yeah, no, that's a good question, and, and and technically you should not be deleting those texts if they involve uh, items of of board business maintained by board members. Um, it, it's it's you know you're you're treading on thin ice by doing that. So uh, okay. my, my my advice is don't text about board business, um, and then you avoid the problem altogether. Okay. Unless there's some way to retain those those text messages, which uh, I guess you're gonna have to reach out to Verizon to find out the answer and let me know when you do. All right, oh, thanks right. a lot. Thanks Oh, right, John Holden, you can still listen. That's a, an interesting question because I know in my daughter's school, we get messages from text messages from the school all the time about uh, the text mm-hmm. matches on or off, uh, delayed yeah. opening, and it, it's an easy way to communicate with people. I think you can – I can forward my text to my email, but it's, it's not a – Oh, can you do that? I, I wasn't even aware that you could do that. Well, it might depend on the system you have too. Uh, so okay. uh, I'd have to check but, that but out. These, but these are issues what? that are going to come up, absolutely. Uh, we have another question before I move on. Sure. George, uh, uh, you're from a charter school. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, Hi. Hi, how are you doing? Um, I'm on a, Hi, board member, a board member of a small charter school. just started recently. Um, and the, when you mentioned the Haggerty and Romeo case, actually right. two things. One, both those unpublished decisions, would you be willing or able to share those uh with me, if I were to email you, I'm just curious. Sure, absolutely. I'm happy yeah. to provide you with a copy. Okay, thank you. And, and the second, really, the, the crux of my question is, it seems a little unwieldy to go and seek a court order in advance <laughs> of <laughs> in advance of a routine published board meeting, uh, so that one of our members who are genuinely unavailable uh, in the state uh, can participate in the meeting. So I guess my question really goes down to, what was the context of them seeking a court order, and does it seem reasonable to do that? Yeah, I, I agree with you. It does seem unwieldy to have to get a court order every time you want to have a board member participate by speakerphone. The facts in Haggerty and Romeo, as well as the Koch case that I mentioned, involved the annual organization meeting of those boards. So it was particularly important in those particular cases that the board members be able to participate, and that's why they went through the extra lengths of trying to get the court order. Um, you know, again, I, I I know not everybody agrees with me on this point, but I don't feel that you need to go out and get a court order every time you want to have a board member participate by speakerphone. Um, but I do strongly encourage the board to have a policy to set forth some guidelines so that it doesn't kind of happen on a willy-nilly basis. Okay, that's that's great recommendation. You don't happen to have a policy <laughs> document available, or should you know? Uh, I think we um, might uh, New Jersey School Board Association. Uh, you want a policy on a yeah, Dave, uh, is it Dan or Dave Bostead? He was extremely helpful. I don't want to yeah. hijack the conversation. Sorry about that. But also, um, George, anyway. is when I put you on hold, Christy will take your email address or give you my email address, and I'll get I'll get the 
information from Mark on those two legal cases that you were concerned about, decisions, and I'll also forward your informa- uh, policy request onto our policy department. Thank you very much, and thanks, okay. Mark. Sure, no problem. Uh, a couple of good questions, and actually I had someone else email me who couldn't listen live, but they really wanted to know uh, a question, uh, and this is uh, in that new area too, Twitter. How communications on Twitter about district issues may fall under the Sunshine Law, both public tweets and direct messages. Um, any thought on that? Mark? Oops. Mark. Hello, okay. Ray. Ray, you got disconnected yeah, there. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, did you? My question was, Mark, um, I had a que- communi- communication from a, a board member who couldn't listen, but she'll listen later on. How communication on Twitter about district issues may fall under Sunshine Law, both public tweets and direct messages? A lot of districts, some more and more districts are tweeting some information. So sure. Um, well, you know, Twitter is the, the new medium by which people communicate these days, and there's obviously the same Open Public Record Act implications that we discussed mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, you know, these tweets about public business by public officials are going to constitute government records, and they have to be again maintained, archived, destroyed only in accordance with the DARM schedule and that sort of thing. So there's Oprah implications, and there's OPMA implications as well. So if somebody's tweeting about something involving the school district and a majority starts tweeting back and forth, it sounds like a bunch of birds, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that could constitute a meeting, which would, again, have to be advertised and, and all the, the notice requirements that are set forth in the Open Public Meetings Act. The other thing that I forgot to mention before, actually, about the OPMA is that the law now requires that public members be able to participate in those meetings. So in the olden days, board members didn't have to participate in board meetings. Uh, The public, I should say, didn't have a right to participate in board meetings, but now the law says that the public does have a right to participate, so you'd have to make an avenue available for the public to be able to tweet back and forth, I guess, as well. So again, it's kind of how the law is keeping up or not keeping up with technology and vice versa. Wow. Uh, what about – there's other avenues for social media too, uh, mm-hmm. Facebook. Um, now, I, I've seen teachers and staff members kind of get in trouble with uh, <laughs> Facebook postings. I haven't seen anything with board members that I know of or even school administrators for that part. Um, but I guess it would fall – we just have to fall under the same guidelines that you're a public official. Yeah, um, public officials have to be – wary about what they post. Board members in particular have to be careful about the ethical implications of what they're posting. Um, A board member wouldn't, of course, be allowed to post something of a confidential nature that was gleaned from an executive session discussion. Uh, They wouldn't be able to blog or tweet about a confidential student matter. And, you know, the other thing that board members have to be careful about is when they tweet or blog or whatever they're doing, they have to be very clear that the expression is not the expression of the entire board, that it's their own individual opinion and and it doesn't represent the majority view. They have to have that uh, disclaimer on there and their government ethics decisions actually involving um, advisories on board members when they write to the local newspapers. And they say that board members have the right to write to the local paper, but again, they have to have that disclaimer saying that although I'm a board member, this doesn't represent the view of the board. I would use that same guidance uh, with respect to mm-hmm. board members tweeting and blogging and Facebooking. You know, express your opinion. That's your right. Uh, discuss the board. Again, that's your right, but make it clear that it's your individual opinion and not that of the board. Okay, we have a couple more questions from callers. Okay. 
<coughs> Yona, uh, you have a question about partic virtual participation. Yeah, um, it's it's more of a comment. I mean, what we have done in the we had a board member who was traveling, and so he participated through um, through Skype, and we had it on a smart board, so everybody he could see everybody, everybody could see him, and then we just made sure that for the physical members um, who were there, we were able to um, we had a quorum, a live quorum for voting purposes. So at least this way, the conversation was there. He was able to have input, as though a public member. Yep. So I would hope that that would cover, you know, from a legal perspective, you know, yeah, and everything were recorded. It's just a, it may be a, not a loophole, but it, you know, that was helpful. Also, with regards to the, you know, email chain, you know, sometimes you have to email information out. It's and you have to email the whole board because there are documents that people need. So sometimes it's like I think it's a, it's a fine line. It's not a it's not a conversation, but it's a dissemination of information that are for documents that are needed for the meeting, which are then made available to the public. Great word, dissemination. I think there is a difference, Mark. Yeah, you want that's, to comment that's, on that? that's a that, that's a really good point. I didn't mean to suggest in any way today in what I've been saying that email shouldn't be allowed or that the board president shouldn't be able to email information to the entire board or the superintendent shouldn't be able to email information to the entire board. Where you start getting into the dangerous area is where a board member then replies to all about the information that's being disseminated. And then the second board member jumps on, replies to all, and starts discussing what was disseminated. And before you know it, even if it's not simultaneous, everybody's put their two cents in about the issue that was um, raised in the first place. So that's where you really have to be careful. And I always tell the board presidents and the superintendents, you know, if you're going to email the entire board, go ahead, that's fine. But it's always a good idea to have a little um, line at the bottom of that email, all caps, bold, you know, 30-point font, basically saying, please do not reply to all. And sometimes even as board counsel, I've had to jump on when I see these discussions taking place saying, you know, please, please refrain from using email to discuss this issue. Save it for the board meeting. So the point you're making, Mark, is that it's great for getting information out, but don't discuss decisions. And Right, exactly. Right. And uh, you know, to Yona's first part, she had a two-part thing there. Uh is that a good way to handle uh, uh, virtual participation? That it wasn't a majority of the board. Was, they didn't use this virtual attendee as to, to get a, a majority, but they allowed them in a discussion. Yeah, I mean, I think Skype is the wave of the future, and I think we're going to see down the line board members participating in meetings uh, by Skype. Again, as long as the public can hear the board member, the board member can hear the public. Uh, to me, that's going to be okay so long as it comports with uh, board policy. You know, I think it's important that the board member participating either by Skype or speakerphone be present for the entire meeting, not just come in for the vote and then, then leave. So uh, to me, again, this would all fall in the parameters that would be set by policy. I would say that would be true for a live meeting too. You don't just walk in and take the vote exactly. and leave. <laughs> uh, okay, thanks, Yona. That was two good points. Hey, good questions. Uh, we have one, another question from... Golab, Golab, you have a question on phone calls, I guess, right? Yeah, I was wondering, as an extension of the emails being archived, how about the general phone calls I would place to other school board members? Uh, isn't that also an extension, more or less, of communication than anything else? And uh, uh, do they have to be archived also or not? The, the, the phone conversation would not have to be 
archive because you, you couldn't archive a phone a phone conversation. Um, but you do have to be careful, just like with the email communications, if you know a majority of a board of education are discussing an issue by phone. Again, that's a meeting. Um, if it's a majority discussing board business, but you, but the, the 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 actual oral phone conversation wouldn't fit within OPRA, and therefore there wouldn't be any uh, archiving or retention issues with a, with a phone conversation. But Golab, I think the, uh, Mark made a really good point. You shouldn't be making decisions like a uh, board member A calling board member B, then board member B calls C, and then you have a the same chain. There's no record of it, but uh, mm -hmm. you probably should get away from that. It's a good. It's not a good way to make decisions as a board. Now, if you're just trying to find a date for a meeting, I think that's a different scenario. Well, okay, so go far as the, so far as a phone call is for general information and not for getting into a discussion of any kind where the decisions would be made, I would think it would be okay. But I still thought that phone calls more or less are an extension of an email many times. Instead of making an email, people will make phone calls. And uh, so what is really speaking technically and legally a difference between the two? Because a, to a phone call can also be kept, a record can be kept uh, on tape. Sure. I mean, right, if, if, the phone, if the phone conversation was actually... I'm sorry, Ray? I put Bob on hold, but he can still hear the answer. Oh, okay. Um, what, I, what I was going to say is that... Um, a government record could certainly be an electronic recording of a phone conversation. So if a phone conversation was recorded, that would fall within the Open Public Records Act, which would have to be maintained and, and all those other things that we spoke about earlier. Um, the, the, a phone conversation between two board members, that's absolutely permissible, again, but with the same caveat that, that I've mentioned a few times, you have to be careful when a majority starts conversing about an item of board business by phone. Uh, the, the, the law defines a, a meeting as that which takes place um, by electronic communication, and I think when they drafted the OPME, they were probably thinking exactly of phone conversations. Yeah, okay, we didn't have Twitter and blogs and all that other good stuff back then. Okay, we have another caller. Uh, Jim, you have a question about Skype too, right? Yeah, Skype and, and the uh, conference calling. Um, how, how often would you say that should be permissible? Because at what point does it become where you're not part of that board anymore if you're constantly calling in via Skype or, or conference call? And our superintendent uses a lot of graphs and um puts all kinds of stuff up on the wall for us to look at. So uh, maybe you could see it with Skype, maybe not. But with a conference call, there's no way to know half the information that we're given. Yeah, and that's why I mentioned earlier, Jim, that it's really a, a policy decision for that board to make. Uh, I, I absolutely see that there's the potential for abuse where a board member is going to say, hey, you know, my favorite show's on tonight. I'm going to sit home and, and just dial in to the, to the board meeting and, and participate that way. And that's why I said earlier that it's really important that there be some parameters set by the Board of Education as to when it's going to be allowed, when it's not going to be allowed, how many times a year are you going to allow it to take place per board member, for instance. You could say that each board member is allowed to do it once or twice. You have to be a certain number of miles away. Uh, you have to be sick in the hospital, whatever the case may be, um, so that there are some guidelines because you're right. It's got the potential to be abused, and um, sometimes it's questionable whether the board member is really fully able to access what's going on. And you mentioned those, those charts that some of the superintendents put up that maybe the board member couldn't see and really is not going to be fully informed in making the decisions and taking the votes that are necessary. Is there, isn't there a, a 
a time frame where if a board member misses so many public meetings, you have the opportunity to, I don't know, uh, remove them? Remove them. Or, yes, yes, you can. There is, there's a, there is that opportunity. But your question is, is that counting as an attendance at a meeting? And I assume if you uh, – Mark can answer this better than me, but if, you, if you're counting the vote, I, I think you're counting as, as being at the meeting. Yeah, if, if the board allowed the participation or there was a court order and the board member was allowed to participate by speakerphone or by Skype, that would count as attendance at the meeting if it fell within the guidelines that were established. Um, but okay. if a board member missed a meeting, three meetings without cause, without good cause, then the board member is subject to removal by the board. Yeah. Okay, All right. appreciate it. Okay, and Jim, I think Thanks for the call. Mark, Mark's point uh, is the board can set a policy on that. The board doesn't have mm -hmm. to accept someone doing a photo phone conference. They could say we need to have visual contact with all the information that's being there. Am I correct, Jim? Uh, Mark? Yes, absolutely. That's that's my advice to my clients. Make sure you have a policy in place before we start allowing this to take place, these these Skype conversations and, and speakerphone conversations. It's always a good idea to have policy. And I guess the, uh, uh, another recommendation is uh, when people start forwarding emails um, – I know I I shouldn't say I you know we all see emails that you're at the end of it and you weren't even supposed to be part of the conversation and <laughs> but people are, you know start sending these emails out uh is there any liability to a board member for sending emails out that are between board members or board business out to the public well, yeah, if there are, if the the emails involve confidential subjects that the board member um disseminated to the public, then there's ethical implications. Somebody could file a, a complaint with the uh, School Ethics Commission saying that the board member violated the confidentiality provision of the Code of Ethics for board members by disseminating uh, emails which contain confidential privileged information. If a board member forwarded information that was just a regular uh, government record, public record, then that wouldn't be a problem because somebody could file an open request for the same email anyway. So, so you uh, just have to be careful about what you're forwarding on and think about the confidentiality implications. So, But if a board is, say, a divided board and one board member just starts email, sending out all those emails, forwarding those emails to maybe even the press, uh, mm -hmm. they are public records. So it's another reason to be cautious in your discussions, I guess, in uh, with emails. Absolutely. Um what are you went over some of your recommendations? Any other recommendations I haven't mentioned that you think boards should when they move into this area? Because they brought up the area of texting, I hadn't even thought of texting um, that boards should do as they move forward because it's changing very fast. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I always tell my clients is don't ever put anything in an email that you wouldn't want on the front page of the local paper because there are plenty of people out there nowadays who are savvy to this in the public, and they understand that board members are texting and emailing, and they want to know what's going on, and they have a right to know what's going on, so they're filing OPA requests for all the board member emails from the last X number of months or X number of years. And uh, sometimes board members will put things in an email that might be uh, a joke or embarrassing to somebody. So uh, be real careful about what you put in those emails because there are members of the public, again, who Oprah them. And I've seen them published on the front page of the local papers. So just be real careful about using emails and what you say in emails and so forth. Um, again, be real careful that email discussions don't include an effective majority of the governing body. 
Um, if you do have to send an email to the entire board, uh, put that little line at the bottom that I mentioned earlier that says do not reply to all and avoid those email exchanges among a majority of the board. Um, I've advised boards, as I mentioned, to have those uh, school board email accounts so that you don't have to sweat retaining and keeping the emails. And what if your hard drive at home crashes and now you've destroyed a whole bunch of, of government records? And you know, let the custodian of records maintain that on the district server. That's my advice. Uh, so if you're a board member and you say you're about to leave the board and you don't have an email account with your district, your district doesn't have that at this point, uh, mm -hmm. and you're about to leave the board, would you recommend that they uh, – somehow, and they don't plan on coming back, take those public records or things that you would deem a public record and somehow give them to the, the district? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, there's no question could... about it. Um, to make the custodian's life easier, say down the line somebody files an OPA request and requests all those emails from you when you were on the board many years ago, um, either forward them uh, electronically to the custodian of records or put them on a CD and turn them over to the custodian of records. Obviously, you want to take out all your own personal emails because those aren't subject to the to the law. But yeah, they have to be maintained. So get them in the hands of the custodian, uh, <laughs> either regularly or before you leave the uh, the board of education or the municipality, wherever you're a public official. Um, I'm looking at the Open Public Meeting Act and. Do you expect any more changes to come about with that? I mean, it's been pretty solid. It hasn't changed over the years. It's just that the rulings changed to adapt to the technology. And, and is that pretty much how you see things laying out? The, the yeah, you know, it wouldn't there, and we just have to adapt to the technology. We do, and, and when the technology doesn't adapt to the, the law and the law doesn't adapt to the technology, it makes for some very interesting cases, and I always tell my school district clients, you don't want to be the test case in New Jersey on this, so so be careful. Um, but, you know, I do think that down the line there might be changes to the Open Public Meetings Act to more clearly uh, deal with some of the issues that we've spoken about today. There might be some change to the law that says something to the effect of, you know, serial email communications among a majority of a public body constitute a meeting so that there's no ambiguity at all. Um, maybe some issues involving social networking might be addressed in the law, um, maybe not through the legislation itself, but certainly through case law down the line. But it wouldn't surprise me. I know other states have modified their sunshine laws to deal with some of these technological issues that we've spoken about. Yeah, because the way I, I've noticed it, I mean, it's actually now easier for the public to see what's going on. It's harder for us to do the normal business because we all use email. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a natural thing that I spend my day do an email, and even our conversation here, we're not even in the same room together. We're probably an hour apart, hour and a half apart. So mm -hmm. it's so much easier now. And it's, and you know, the, the one person, Golab, said that you can, about phone, um, saving phone records, but like this can be archived. Almost everything can be archived now. So it's a little bit more of a work for the custodian of sure. records, I guess. Sure. I mean, e email is a great tool. It, it's, it's a wonderful way to communicate it. It makes it really easy for people to communicate. You just have to be smart about it. That's really what it comes down to. Okay. Uh, any other final thoughts? Because we're getting towards the end. Any final recommendations or... Uh you know, the only final recommendation I would make is I think it's real important, and you touched on this earlier, for public bodies to have policies that deal with these issues. Um, and everybody should know what the policies say, and everybody should abide by them. And 
hopefully if that happens we'll all stay out of trouble and and not make case law on this on this subject yes uh even like the the woman uh i forget the caller's name who talked about this how they use skype you probably should have a right. policy in place just to legitimize what you're doing and you're not making it up as you go along Exactly, exactly, and and so that you're doing it consistently across the board. No pun intended. No. Okay, uh, that brings us to the end of the show, towards the end of the show, and I'd like to, Mark, I'd like to thank you for joining us. You're always welcome to join us again. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. I think this is a great topic, and uh, for the board members, if uh, I know someone had, a, if they wanted to email me and get some more information, my emails are, talk about email, uh, are, Penny, P-I-N-N-E-Y, at njsba.org, and I'll try to forward you any information that you request on that email. Uh, and that brings us to the end of another conversation in New Jersey Education. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. As I always say, our kids' education is too important not to talk about. If you have an issue or a speaker that you think would be good uh, in this format, please contact me via the email address I gave you before. Thank you for tuning in, and thanks to our callers and chatters. Uh, there were some really great questions and comments today, ones that I didn't anticipate, and your participation is what makes this program successful. Thank you, and Mark, uh, have a good holiday season if I don't talk to you. Thank you, likewise. Okay, bye now. Take care. I'm glad we had callers. Well, this is... Yeah, I heard her. Yeah, that you got the one other person. You have to put it on mute. Now, I don't know. Did one of you put Mark for that one second on? He got put on mute.
Was it, did I do that? I didn't think so. I looked down. He's not answering. I said, "Shit, he's blue." <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I didn't say that, but I. Well, no, it had a yellow light on him. The yellow conversation. He was muted for a second, and then I said, "Yeah." Okay. It wasn't shutting down. No. No, it took a while. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.